Welcome to the latest episode of Comic Book Physics. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This month I'd like to extend a special welcome to those who are joining us for the first time from the Stitcher app. All Bureau 42's podcasts are now available on Stitcher and it looks like we've picked up some new listeners from those, so thank you and welcome aboard. A quick rundown for those of you who are listening for the first time through Stitcher or otherwise. In Comic Book Physics, we sit down and take a look at physics in the context of comic books. So we see things that are going through in comic books, what's taking place, examining either powers or specific examples of heroes and villains using those powers, and just analyzing them to study them and figure out, can this work, can it not, hopefully learning something along the way. The specific topics that we cover are suggested by listeners. So... This could be people asking me to examine a particular hero's powers. It could be because, you know, they're asking me to look at a particular aspect of physics, and then I'll try to find someone whose powers match that. That feedback can come in through bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook and submit it that way. Up to this point, a lot of the podcast suggestions that we've had have come in through the people at Horizon Labs, which is both a Facebook and Twitter group. So just check hashtag Horizon Labs to check that out. They're constantly talking comics there. This month, the suggestions actually came from a different source. And I'm saying suggestions because we're looking at two specific instances of Daredevil using his abilities. And these suggestions came from J. David Weeder directly through his podcast. So rather than me telling you all about Dave's podcast, I'll just drop in his promo right here. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil... You get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Welcome back. The specific questions that we're looking at came up in episodes 26 and 27 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Those episodes covered issues 169 and 170, which were two of the earlier issues in Frank Miller's run, just after he took over solo writing credit, actually. And what we're looking at here effectively amounts to the physical limits of the human body. Can Daredevil pull off the incredibly high athletic stunts that he's pulling off in his comics, given that Daredevil's abilities don't give him any additional durability whatsoever? For those who aren't familiar with Daredevil, he was blinded by radioactive waste as a child because he was already acting like a hero, one of the things that sets him apart. He was trying to help an old man cross the street when a radioactive truck came in, so he actually ran out in front of the truck to save this complete stranger. In doing so, got radioactive waste splashed on his eyes. As a result, he's got an amplification of most of his senses, but he's been blinded. And he also has a radar sense. I think of the radar sense as having perfect depth perception in all directions, above, below, before, behind, and yet being so colorblind, you can't even tell the difference between black and white. In a lot of ways, that's Daredevil's world. That's what has replaced his sight, is that radar sense. Now, his other senses are also amplified. Very sensitive taste, touch, smell, and so forth. Could be part of the reason he's quite the ladies' man, but that's off topic. What matters here 
is that he's also trained himself to be an incredible athlete, and he uses those athletic skills when he's out there fighting crime. And his abilities give him no additional support in terms of the athleticism apart from perhaps a heightened sense of balance. So when we're looking at these issues, and Daredevil catches a knife that's been thrown at him, or he jumps off a building, lands on a car, and kicks through the windshield, the question is, can a normal human actually pull these stunts off without causing himself serious physical injury? We're going to look at kicking through a windshield first, even though largely these are the same sort of physics. It's a question of how much punishment can the human body take. Now, we've got an intuitive grasp of what that punishment means in this case, but we don't want an intuitive grasp. We want a scientific grasp. We want a usable definition where we can say, this is what is happening to his body. So in this case, we are looking at outside forces and what's impressed upon them. Now, there's a couple things that come into play. A lot of times people just talk about the force and how much force the human body can take, but that's only part of the story. You need more than just force. Right? If force is all that matters, putting snowshoes on your feet would make it more likely to break through the snow because now you have more mass, the force of gravity on you is greater. And yet we've got centuries of proof that snowshoes make it less likely to break through the surface of the snow. So why is that? It's because it's not the force that matters, it's the pressure. When you put on snowshoes, you take that force of your body and distribute it over a greater area. And when we're talking about forces being applied to solid objects, that's what it boils down to. Pressure is how much force is being applied per unit area. And that's where the danger comes in. That's why a needle is more dangerous than a round ball bearing. They could be the same mass, but that needle has the point on the end that reduces the surface area for that pressure to be applied, increases the pressure on that point, makes it more likely to break the skin. So what we need to do is figure out how much pressure can the human body take and how much pressure is needed to break through a windshield or to have a knife cut through skin or something along those lines. So looking at the windshield first, what we need to do is figure out how much pressure the windshield can take. There's a number of factors that come into play here. There's the structure, there's the way it's mounted, there's the way it's shaped, there's the coatings that are put on top. Uh, doing research on this, I found that windshield construction has actually come a long way in the last 110 years or so. And windshields were already pretty good in the late 70s and early 80s when Frank Miller had taken over the title. What I also found, which is very convenient for these purposes, is just standard numbers for how much pressure a windshield can take. So you don't have to calculate that. Yeah, in the real world, scientists will look things up in handbooks as often as possible to save as much time as possible. So a typical windshield can take somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 PSI. Now, I'm not a big fan of the Imperial system, as you may have picked up on. A lot of the choices made when doing it seem to be completely arbitrary and not based on science and more, we're in England, we don't get along with France at this particular moment in time, so we're not using their system and we're just going to invent our own somehow. That seems to be the mindset. Anyway, because so many windshield manufacturers are American and Americans are one of the last three countries on the planet to use the imperial system, that's what all the standard numbers are in. 
So the PSI is the pounds per square inch. And this is one of the issues with the imperial system. There are actually two imperial units called the pound. Pound was originally defined as both as a, a unit of mass. Now it is also a unit of force. In reality, your mass is not solely responsible for the force of gravity on you. It's an interaction between yourself and the planet you're standing on or whatever else is producing that force of gravity you're concerned with at this point in time. But the pressure that you have, your weight, is actually a result of the gravity there. So if you were to teleport around the solar system and somehow ignore conservation of momentum so you could survive, your mass would not change from planet to planet. But if you brought a weight scale with you and stood on the surface of these planets, preferably in some sort of space gear so you didn't just die in the vacuum or in the otherwise toxic environments, then you would find that your weight varies from location to location, even though your mass does not. That's because your weight is the force of gravity that you are experiencing at that location at that point in time. So in the metric system, these are two very clear and distinct units. Mass is measured by standard units in kilograms. Unless you're in chemistry, then mass is grams, but that's the only field of science that doesn't use the kilogram as the standard unit of measure. And then the force applied on you, or the weight that you have, because it's just a force, that's measured in newtons. And newtons are mass times the acceleration due to gravity, 9.81 meters per second squared, or 32 feet per second per second, as it's referred to in the imperial system. But the imperial system started using the pound interchangeably for both mass and weight before they had a formal scientific definition that made the distinction between the two quantities. So the imperial system has both a pound of mass and a pound of force defined within it. And the conversion factor between them is just the average acceleration due to gravity. So when they talk about pressure in the imperial system, you use often PSI, which is pounds per square inch. So yeah, they use a lot of the words instead of exponents. So S stands for squared, whereas you know metric would have newtons per meter squared written as a fraction where the meters have the exponent two. The imperial system will often write out squared or cubed before the unit that's being squared or cubed. But it's the same basic concept, weight distributed over area or force distributed over area. So we know a windshield can take between 6,000 and 10,000 pounds per square inch. The question is, can Daredevil apply that much pressure without seriously harming himself? Well, that depends on how much pressure the human body can take. Human bone structure, especially in the leg, can take up to 20,000 PSI in pressure. So I was quite surprised when I saw that my gut instinct was the same as Dave's appeared to be when he talked about it in his podcast, was that, no, if you kick your way through a windshield, you are going to just destroy your foot and the windshield is probably going to be okay. Well, it turns out the human body is structurally strong enough to do a lot more damage to the windshield, and that windshield can give first, especially in the early 80s when that average windshield strength was closer to 6,000 PSI than the 10,000 is now. They've made quite a few improvements in the last 30 years as well. So at that time, an average Joe on the street like myself, when kicking a windshield, is pretty likely to seriously mess up his foot before he gets to the windshield. But at this point, with the amount of time Daredevil has spent training himself physically, 
to do his rooftop leaps and his swinging and his martial arts combat and all of that additional training that he has behind him, then he probably could safely kick through a windshield, especially if you're looking at a windshield in a cab, which may or may not be that well maintained depending on how well that cab is doing. So this is one of the cases where, yeah, the physics as we see it in the comic book actually holds up quite well. So the next question, we know the bone structure can take it. How much damage can the skin and the hands take? And for that, we'll look at the other suggestion that David had when we take a look at the issue immediately before this, where Daredevil catches a knife that's been thrown at him through the air. And it's the kind of thing that we do see in print a fair amount, especially when we're looking at the comic book page. It's something you'd see from Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow in G.I. Joe comics on a not completely overdone basis, but it's common enough that by the time the series came to an end, it's like, oh yeah, they're doing that again. So what does it take to catch a knife? Well, in a lot of ways, it depends on how the knife is thrown. So if you're looking at a stage play or some other showmanship thing where you're trying to make it look impressive but not really endanger your partner, there are things you can do to improve it. You can show how sharp the knife is, but then when you throw it, throw it carefully and spinning in the right direction so that the sharp end of the blade is on the back part of the spin and the dull side of the blade is on the front part. And that will, of course, tremendously help your partner in trying to catch it without injury. You'd want to get into the rhythm and because you're not really trying to hurt, you wouldn't throw it quite as hard and quite as fast as somebody else would. Now, in this case, the goal really is to kill Daredevil. So they're not going to be holding back, and they're going to be throwing the sharp edge first, or, as is more likely in a lot of these situations, if they brought the knife with them as a throwing knife, it's not going to have a Dell side. It's going to be sharp on both sides of that blade. So what happens here? Again, it comes down to the impulse and the momentum and the amount of pressure that can be applied. So first we have to impart the momentum on the blade. And we take a look at what that looks like. Kind of like a Major League Baseball pitcher throwing a ball, you can wind up, bring the knife from behind you out front and release it in the general direction of your target. Now in doing so, what you're doing is taking the chemical energy from your arms and adding it to the knife in the form of kinetic energy. You're making it move. So the question is how quickly can it move? What speed can it be going at by the time it leaves your hand? Well, for that, we turn to kinematics, which is the study of motion. Let's assume that we're accelerating the knife pretty uniformly all the way through the motion. It's not a completely accurate assumption, but it's close enough when we're talking about human limbs and this sort of thing. If we have that, then what we know is that the average speed of the knife over the course of it being thrown is going to be the distance it's moved, in this case horizontally, that's the direction we're concerned about, divided by the time it takes to throw the knife. Now, the distance it moves can be reasonably estimated as about a meter. If we look at, you know, starting from behind you, usually with a bent arm, releasing it just before you fully extend the arm in front of you, probably with torso moves, it's not unusual for an adult to throw it about a meter or to move it through about a meter before releasing it to be thrown. So how much time does it take to move it and to throw that arm? We can measure it, but it's kind of a hard thing to gauge alone. You really need one person running the stopwatch, preferably on video. Right? Video record yourself and go frame by frame between where the, the knife throwing starts and where the knife throwing ends. And then of course you run the risk of actually throwing things hard enough to damage things in your house, which would be the accurate reproduction. Uh, plus in my case, you have the very clear reality that an actual trained ninja can throw things harder and faster than I can. So it's not really going to be an accurate picture. So instead, I'm thinking, okay, 
A knife is a lot more aerodynamic than a baseball, and there are baseball pitchers who train themselves quite often and quite hard to throw balls quickly. So how quickly can they throw a baseball? And if we figure out the average speed of a fastball from a major league pitcher, I would think that's going to be reasonable for the more aerodynamic and carefully thrown speed for a knife from one of the world's best ninjas. Well, from what I found there, the speed of the average fastball, again, because of the popularity of baseball in the United States, we're looking at about 91 miles per hour as speed in recent years, which is pretty quick. So if you can manage to impart that much speed onto the baseball while throwing it about one meter or moving it through one meter before releasing it, you're looking at a time of the throw that's about 0.05 seconds or a 20th of a second. So now what happens to Daredevil when he's trying to catch it? Because he doesn't have the full arm's length to catch it, not when he's doing it between his palms when the knife is still in front of his chest. If we look at how much time he's got between firmly clamping his hands on this blade and bringing it to a halt, he's got about a quarter of a meter, so about 25 centimeters, which in Imperial system, yeah, it's we're looking at about 9 or 10 inches. One inch is formally defined as 2.54 centimeters. So, And how do we know that he's doing this over time? Because the same physics applies. If you need to apply a force or apply an acceleration to this knife to make it come to a complete stop, then you are applying a force. And the less distance it travels before coming to that stop, the more acceleration you need. Kinematically speaking, the formula we're looking at for that is that the final velocity squared minus the initial velocity squared equals twice the acceleration and distance traveled. So VF squared minus VI squared equals 2AD, if we're looking at it algebraically. The smaller the distance that you use to stop it, the greater that acceleration needs to be. Right, because they're multiplied together, and that product is determined by saying Vf squared minus Vi squared, so we're having an initial velocity of about 91 miles per hour, and a final velocity of zero, because we want this thing to come to a stop. That is set in stone. So half a 91 squared gives us the product of acceleration and distance. If you need to stop something moving that fast, you want to give yourself as much distance as possible to slow it down that decreases the amount of acceleration you need to apply. Now, thankfully, we don't have to have that same impact on the time. We do have less time to stop it, but it's not as dramatic. So we've gone from one meter to a quarter of a meter in terms of the distance applied, but acceleration and distance and time don't have linear relationships. Linear meaning if you double one, you double the other. If you double the time, you actually quadruple the speed. It's that VF squared bit. Just like the distance covered is one half times the acceleration times the time squared, which means you only need half the time to stop it in a quarter of the distance. So instead of a 20th of a second, you've got about a 40th of a second or 0.025 seconds. So Daredevil wins out a little bit on that one. But if you're taking this knife moving at 90 or 91 miles per hour and trying to stop it in a quarter of a meter, how much pressure is that going to apply to your hands? Well, the answer is a whole heck of a lot. In fact, it's more than the human hands can take. So if you try to catch a knife in this way and there's any part of the blade that's obstructing on you, you're not going to be able to stop it. Partly because you're trying to halt forward momentum by applying forces to the side 
to grip that knife, and it just slides through too easily when it's in contact with human skin. And that's the key. Daredevil is not catching it with his bare skin. He's catching it with gloves in the suit that he is specifically designed to use in combat, with over 160 issues of experience behind him. So that's what it boils down to. If Matt Murdock were trying to catch it barehanded, this would cut through his palms, and it would cause damage to his hands when he's trying to catch it, because he doesn't have enough to halt that forward momentum with the human body. But if that initial impact and that pressure is on something that's more resilient than skin, if it's a carefully chosen material, he can get away with it. Going through and doing the research, if those gloves are Kevlar gloves, they could easily handle it. And there are a number of materials that are tougher than human hands, which can take this punishment. So what it boils down to is how well made was Daredevil's suit. They, to my knowledge, have never actually specified what material his suit is made from. So in this case, I'm willing to say, yeah, if we've got a lawyer who's doing fairly well, who has a high attention to detail, and who's got a lot of combat experience, and has at one point even put so much care and planning into his costume that he had a radio built into his cowl, although they did drop that, but he still has that well-designed billy club, he still has the secret compartments in his brownstone with all the training equipment that he needs in the place he rents out in the basement as well. It all boils down to saying that, yeah, Daredevil is the kind of character who would have gloves that would pull this off. He's also the kind of character who would understand that well enough that if he didn't know his gloves could pull that off, he'd have avoided that knife hit another way. So some of this could be his showboating and his showing off because he knows this is a difficult trick to pull off. It's got to be carefully planned. This is something Daredevil can pull off, but his hand ninja attackers might not be able to match that feat. So he might have done this deliberately just to say, hey, I am better than you, and get a bit of a psychological edge. So in this case, I was pleasantly surprised. In both cases, I was skeptical, as it sounds like Dave was, but as it turns out, Daredevil really is just that good. That's all we have for this month. Join us the last Wednesday of every month as we examine new ideas in physics and in comic books to go through this. At this time, there are still 37 suggestions that are coming up, but we'd be happy to add more in as things are coming through. Some of them work quickly, some of them not so much. But you can always send those suggestions to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com, or as I said, track me down on Facebook, or even put them in the comments at bureau42.com, which is the official home to these podcasts. I do like to give credit where credit is due with the suggestions, although some of the older ones... Honestly, I've misplaced that because I didn't start that soon enough, and for that I apologize. And feel free to check out some of the other podcasts that we do at Bureau 42, including our X-Files Retrospective podcast, the current big screen Batman series that will become Silver Screen Superheroes next year, and more. That's all we have to say for this month. Thank you for listening.